Welcome back to Kingdom Conversations, episode three and the start of our adoption mini-series. I wanted to start by apologizing because this recording has a couple technical issues and this is actually my first ever virtual interview, so our volume levels on each side is a little bit different and not exactly the way I would normally prefer um, had it been an in-person interview, but hopefully you guys can adjust the volume and still be able to hear us clearly. Um, And secondly, I was actually fighting something off in this um, interview and I sound kind of sick. Um, So hopefully you can look past that as well and just focus on Amanda and hear all the wisdom that she has to offer. Um, She's actually going to be telling us the story of what brought her and her husband to adoption and the rest of the story of how they brought their babies home. She shares a lot of the practical side of what adoption looks like behind the scenes as well as maybe some unpopular opinions for the church to be aware of. And of course, she shares the beautiful story of bringing their children home in a way that only God could could have ordained. And so I hope that you're able to hear all that she has to say and to be encouraged and blessed by her story and her heart. Okay, we are here. This is actually um, going to be a tiny little mini-series about adoption, Um, and today I'm so excited to be having my friend here to talk with me about that and share her story, but um, I just wanted to say a couple things first um, before I have you introduce yourself, Um, but lately over the last several months, um, just pro-life, adoption, the church, and people's stories throughout all over the map um, has just been a really hot topic lately, and it was just really on my heart to share with somebody that I know um, who is able to share about a story of God's faithfulness, even through hardships, but also about just like what He's brought you through and that you can testify to a beautiful redemption story as well. So um, if you don't mind just saying your name and... (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah. My name is Amanda Hogue, and we have been friends for a little while, and you've been such a blessing in my life. So I was so honored when you asked me to join you today for an episode where we talk about adoption, and I'm really looking forward to hearing or telling my story. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. Um. So first off, I just want you to, and you can share as much or as little as you want, um, but uh, to start off with just a little bit of backstory, um, maybe what you and your husband went through and what even led you to adoption in the first place um, and your journey with that. Absolutely. So adoption was always something that my husband and I had considered. We prayed about it. We had friends that had adopted and we had had conversations with them about what that looked like in one specific scenario. It was an international adoption, and so that's what was kind of on my husband's heart. But we had done and had a lot of conversations about it. And then we just started, decided that we were going to try to start our family. And so we went through that trying to conceive process, and we were undergoing that process for around two years uh, when finally we got some answers we'd been we started um 
frightening seeing someone after about uh, 10 months and it took us a little bit to figure out that we did have uh, something and it was um, the official diagnosis was male factor infertility and so there wasn't medically a really a way that they could kind of uh, bring on about a pregnancy that didn't include donor sperm, which was not mm-hmm. something we were interested in. So right. we knew that the Lord was presenting us with an option to adopt. And so mm-hmm. we had talked and walked through some fertility issues with friends where they had gotten treatments and um had injections and all the things and so we did not want to pursue that we knew the heartbreak that was around that and so we knew that God was calling us to adopt and so we started jumping into the research stage and I don't think either of us really took the time to grieve the fact that we had this infertility diagnosis because we were so ready to be parents we just jumped into the adoption Gotcha. Yeah. We saved up a lot of money and we signed up with an agency. And um, we found out after the first year that a lot of people had been placed through this agency who had been in the same training classes, classes after us. But we found out that our profile had only been shown once or twice. And so after a full year, we felt like they weren't representing us well. and there was a lot of other things that went into it, but, you know, just for... <laughs> for t- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we'd already also paid a match fee, which was something that you do not do when you're signed up with an agency until you're matched, because oh, wow. you may never match with that agency. And to accept a match fee is guaranteeing a match, which you can never do. And oh, so wow. in that way, they were not ethical in their practices. And so we lost a huge amount of money when we decided to move on to an adoption consultant. Wow. And so we moved everything over. And let me tell you, this agency, the original one, they fought us on giving us our home study, which we had paid for. And they fought on giving us any paperwork that we paid for. Wow. And so we had to get our new adoption consultant involved and she had to be requesting information and um threatened to have a lawyer involved just to get our home study like it was oh my goodness whole thing and so we're up on a year so of course we have to get a home study update because your studies expire after 12 months so we sat down with a new caseworker that was recommended to us and she is dear to our heart and she looked at our home study, and she was like, this is shabby and incomplete. Oh, oh <laughs> no. So the, the grace of God is in this as well, because if we had been matched with an incomplete home study, it would have allowed for that adoption to fall through. Wow. And so God's grace is so good that he um, highlighted all the gaps that were in this home study so she filled in the gaps and she got it ready to go as far as she could and as much as she could um and then we were ready showing our profile to an expectant mom and we were one of two and so this attorney that was working with this expectant mama she was like okay now we just need a few more things from you we need 
background checks from the previous state that you lived in because we hadn't been living in our current state for five years and so we needed that and then she needed a couple other pieces of paperwork uh-huh. well those had never been ordered because we were never told to order those and so those took 60 days to come back oh, so my in goodness. this moment everything collided because yeah. we were one of two families that were being selected for this placement yeah our hearts were so invested in this because oh, we sure. were so like we were just so ready it felt right and you feel that way on some cases but then you feel it more in in other cases and so for that to fall through was absolutely devastating and oh, this all happened on the Friday before Mother's Day. Oh, my word. <laughs> and so Saturday we ran around getting paperwork notarized, getting it overnighted to the state that we previously lived in, and all this. And oh, man. I was like, you couldn't pick me up off the ground. I was so upset. I was weeping. <gasps> and I didn't even realize how much it affected me until this was all six years ago. It took me three or four years to actually be able to enjoy Mother's Day. Wow. Like, I dreaded it. I felt like I couldn't enjoy it or I wasn't worthy of it or I wasn't a mom. Um, All of that grief from everything happening the way that it did. Yeah. Just, like, it just stayed with it. It was almost like that traumatic thing. Oh, yeah. So, um, I think there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of loss when you're walking through adoption and when that's coupled through or with infertility if if you're result or adopting as a result of infertility there's so much grief but if you're not processing it on Mm. as you're going through it yeah then something like this can happen and it can feel so devastating oh yeah because now if something happened and you or I needed paperwork that would take two months to come yeah. Be like, okay, well, we'll just we'll just sit and wait on it. Yeah. But in that moment, it was truly the most devastating thing that could oh, happen yeah. because it had been layered on so many other losses. So right before we moved agencies, I was part of this small group, and it was this in-person I am fruitful group that a good friend she became a good friend of mine she was leading and she had this team and we just worked through all the things that come along with processing infertility and it was such a good time for me to like meet the Lord and Mm. seek the Lord in my waiting instead of sit in this place of like bitterness and resentment and all the things that I naturally gravitate gravitate towards or even just really really wanting to really wanting to just move on to the next step too as you were saying like you were just like okay let's move on let's get a kid let's you know just get the next paperwork instead of like really sitting with that with all those feelings absolutely and I think that goes to something that we've talked about before where this a marriage doesn't fix our loneliness and a child doesn't fix our loss or any of those things like us accepting a placement into our home wasn't going to fix the fact that we were diagnosed with this infertility diagnosis Mm -hmm. so just processing through all that and just looking to the lord in all of our grief in all of our pain 
and realizing that we could with one hand hold on to loss and we could grieve in a healthy way Mm -hmm. um and also look expectantly to him for the promises that we knew he had for us and the gifts that he had for us I think that's where I started to understand that I could live in this tension and I had so much I have grown so much as well in that area since then but that's when I was kind of introduced to it and in this small group to wrap up a semester she brought in some of her friends and they were a prophetic team at the church we were at at the time and one of the girls in her preparation for a prophetic word for Tyler and I, my husband and I, she heard this song and it was super intense and really vivid and all this. And so when she gets up to deliver this word, she has a lot to say, but she's like, I just heard this song and it was so weird. And it was like, she gets up and she starts to dance. It's like, I heard New York, New York, where dreams are made of. And she's dancing (laughs) it. She's doing all this. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) Like, I'm so timid in this setting. And she's free and moving around the room and dancing and singing this song. That's so funny. In a room of 20 people. (laughs) And just, like, the confidence to do that, it just stuck in my mind. But I had no connection to New York. And so I just... Kind of wrote it off, yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know how Mary uh, kind of processes these things in her heart? That was one of those things that was (laughs) like, in my heart. (laughs) Nowhere else. (laughs) Thanks, but I'm good. Yeah, I don't understand. Um, Yeah. And there were some other really beautiful words that the team had delivered, but that was the one that stood out to me. And so finally these background checks come back. And we are um, able to start reviewing profiles because we're not able to review profiles unless we're ready to be placed. Um, And so we're reviewing profiles. And essentially, when I get a profile from a birth mom, it outlines all the information that she feels comfortable telling, such as drug use, which they report about 30% of what they're actually doing, Um, their medical and their race or background or any information that they feel comfortable sharing and some profiles are like nothing and some are really good some of them they've been having some prenatal care and so you know uh how the pregnancy is progressing most of them we're not seeing profiles until the child is around six months or long wow and some of them had like uh medication issues that which is why they were you know medical issues which is why they were planning to place because they didn't feel like they were equipped to handle the medical issues that they potentially were going to be born with stuff like that so you have the ability to review this profile if you review it and you say yes i want to present then you are able to um, send in a profile book with which is like a pretty little shutterfly photo book right have professional photos and it's a whole thing like oh wow they okay are professionally ours was not which is I think one reason why it took a little longer for us to be watched. <laughs> yes. 
can pay thousands of dollars and have someone create this book for you. Oh, girl, it's a whole industry. I had no idea. Yes. Um, And then if she is able to look at, an agency probably won't let her look at more than about four or five family books at a time. And so then at that point, she can take them home with her, and she might respond within two days. She might take two weeks. Um, But in that meantime, you don't get the ability to present, or you're not receiving profiles. Okay. Until we get back. Oh, wow. We would take that time, and seven to ten days was really normal. We would get that time with a little bit of information that we had from her, to pray into her situation. Oh, like, yeah. Lord, I pray that you lead her to the right family. I pray that you give her the medical care that she needs. If she is concerned about placing and and if she has the support to maybe raise this baby herself, that you would surround her right now wow. so that there would be like, this would not be a last resort, but that this would be something that's she's being guided by you to do for sure and so yeah. we would pray all these prayers like especially these empowering ones so that she would be able to make the decision to parent herself I and love that yeah and I felt like we are going to have we have this one window into her life right and if we can just like fill that with prayer as much as possible yeah we would all we would hear back was she decided to go with another family and that was it. We didn't yeah. hear anything more about her story. And so at that point, I felt like the Lord was, okay, now you can pass that off. And your right. assignment on that is done. But it gave us this unique opportunity to pray for these uh, expectant mamas. And even if we weren't chosen, wow. even if we we're never going to be part of her story. Yeah. So That's I think beautiful. If is considering adoption, like every exposure to a profile which is an expectant mom making this decision for her baby like wow it's such a beautiful opportunity to pray and like look outside of what we want for our family and ourselves and kind of love on her and Mm -hmm. and surround her with as much of that as we can um even if it's just so simple as prayer that's so beautiful i love that So around six weeks after the background checks came back, we were actually chosen by a birth mother. So our sweet daughter was already born. I was called mid-afternoon at work, and the campus I was working at had really bad reception. So our caseworker had tried to call me, or the caseworker sent to this case. I tried to call me three times and then finally called my husband, and my husband was able to get through to me. Which was another wonderful thing because I said yes to every possible scenario. <laughs> um, maybe let's not. He was just a little more realistic. Our abilities as parents, right? He's so, just you know, has, someone has to be the stabilizer sometimes. Yeah, yes. yes to everything. Right, and so him getting to be the gatekeeper in this and have the conversation first was just such a good thing. Yeah, as well to protect my heart as he right. I would have just approached it with so much enthusiasm and he would have Oh, been yeah. Like, okay, let's take a step back. But for him to be like, Amanda, they have our baby. She is born and wow. she is ready for us. And we are accepting this placement just as what my heart needed. Like, for yes. him to make that decision. Oh, yeah. And what's wild is she was born in Queens, New York. No. 
Yes. That is yes. crazy. I know. So as soon as we heard about it, we knew it was like the Lord had lined up a dozen confirmations. He was wow. so kind. Yes. And that was one of the confirmations. We also felt like our first placement was going to be a girl. Wow. And so it, it was another thing that just felt so right in accepting this. Uh, so, yes, her birth mom had chosen us to parent. Uh, she was already born. And if we were going to accept, we had to be in New York at the hospital for discharge the next morning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Talk about a whirlwind. Yes. yes. And at some point in that six-week period that we were waiting for our backgrounds to come back, the Lord had told me, you need to pack your bags. Wow. So I had packed my bags. And wow. I had filled them with all the things that I thought a newborn would fit into. Oh, my not, gosh. Not just newborn. <laughs> <laughs> she was a chunk, wasn't she? Oh my goodness! Yes, nothing fit, bless her. It was, just, it was so beautiful. It was the thought that counted. You came prepared, okay? Absolutely, yes. We had the empty car seat. We had all the things that you need for a discharge from the hospital. Yes, right. The Lord had given me foresight to pack and know exactly what I needed. I love that. For that. And there had been so much prayer. The whole thing had just been bathed in prayer from both of us. Mm. And there had been so much grief that we had processed through. So when she was placed with us, it was pure joy. Wow. There, it wasn't a mixture. Right. I mean? Oh, yeah. And so that was such, it was such a beautiful experience. And it's my favorite story of how our daughter came to us I love that wow that's amazing can you really briefly if you're able to share about her brother and how he came as well yes so about two years after we brought our daughter home I got this idea that we needed to do foster care and my husband went along with it wow whole process girl we <laughs> drove across the metroplex wow we both attended 12 classes some the same time some we had to do separately because of child care yeah arranged for child care for this whole thing and if you ever have the idea to like get trained for foster care and get licensed such a good investment the classes were absolutely gold but they scare you oh and i'm so sure to the end we wrapped everything up. We had every single piece of paperwork turned in. We were trying to schedule a caseworker to do a visit. And my husband was like, oh, I don't think I can do this. Oh, wow. And I was furious. Oh, I bet. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Go through this entire process only to, like, get cold feet at the end of it like I can't even talk to you yeah I literally (laughs) threw that at the Lord's feet and I was like the time that we spent the energy my heart that I invested in this oh yeah you you can redeem this because (laughs) I'm like I don't I don't think you can but you know (laughs) let let me see you redeem this seriously oh yeah and so it was about two months before the whole thing would expire because it lasts a year. 
The fire marshal visited our home. We got our fire extinguisher inspected. Like, wow. It's the process that you go through is just insane to adopt. Oh, yeah. And so it was about to expire, and that's when our daughter's birth mom reached out asking for our caseworker's information who was on site with us at the hospital. She really liked her. Um, I'm friends with this caseworker on Facebook, and so I knew that she wasn't handling those out-of-state adoptions anymore and so I said if you are looking for someone I would love to set you up with a bilingual attorney or caseworker whatever you need if you are looking to place we would love to be considered and she responded really you would want to be you would want to adopt again (laughs) yeah Um, we were like, yes, of course. So that was like the second week in January. And she said, oh, okay, good. Well, I'm doing two weeks. <laughs> I love this story. Uh, okay. So all of our baby stuff was like in the attic. We had to schedule a home study update. We had our precious um, caseworker back in our house. She spent more time talking to our chatty little two-and-a-half-year-old girl than she did talking to us. Like, she just felt like a reunion, you know? Oh, yeah. And so we cleaned the house just to have it clean, but she just came in and was so excited to see us again and to be writing this home study update for us. Well, then birth mom started experiencing Braxton Hicks, and she started freaking out. And so it had been about two weeks um, since we found out about the situation, and she's like, can you please come and be with me? And so I jumped on a plane, Yeah, and I hung out in New York for two weeks before she was admitted into the hospital to give birth. And, of course, there was no, um, not of course, but she hadn't had prenatal care, and so we didn't know the gender. And so we all thought it was a girl because Emerson was, or our daughter, was having a lot of conversations about her baby sister and and so thought it was the baby girl. Yeah. And so he comes out, and lo and behold, not a baby girl. (laughs) (laughs) A baby boy. Yes. yes. No one in that hospital room had delivered a larger baby. And wow. This is a large hospital in Queens, New York. That yes. is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And so all of my you're at a three month close to get him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. So then we had to wait about ten more days for our attorneys to um, clear with ICPC for me to clear the state, and so I was there for um, just over three weeks. Wow! In order to, to bring him home, um, and then a couple weeks after he was brought home is when New York was completely shut down with COVID from COVID. Oh, that's and right. There was no more flights coming in and out, and so. The Lord was so good that we got on a flight, got home, no hassle, before everything was shut down. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I always feel like that's such a significant part of oh, the for story sure. because it was, that would have been really, really difficult for me to have to drive that. Oh, for sure. With yeah. a newborn. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is just so cool and how awesome it is that they both they're blood siblings you know yes 
Like so that is magical. just mm-hmm. so cool. You know, that doesn't happen very often unless you intentionally have that connection. It seems like, I mean, from my knowledge, I don't know a lot, but I just think that's such an awesome testament to the Lord. So absolutely. One thing I told our, our children's birth mom at the hospital when we are being discharged with our daughter is that I would send her an update every month until she told me to stop. Mm -hmm. And that was the only promise that I made to her that she could watch me keep. Mm -hmm. And so I consistently sent her those updates. I hadn't heard from her in over two years when she reached out. Wow. And so I think when you are an adoptive mama and you have made those promises, whatever they look like, yeah. keeping those promises goes a long way. Nobody's enforcing that you do it. Right. Nobody's forcing you to keep in touch or give updates or do all the things. Right. But there's so much. Like They gave us this gift of raising their child. It was their child first. And they're allowing you to steward this gift. And for us to respond with honor and allow them the window in at right. the amount that they want right. is such a beautiful way to acknowledge the gift that they've given. I love that. That is so beautiful. And, I mean, I'm learning a lot just now, just listening to all of this about the process and everything. But a couple of things that you said just about that right then, and um, as well as praying for the birth moms, I mean... Even what I do know about foster care as well is the whole point is and should be for reunification for the family. And so I love what you said about y'all praying over the birth moms as well, because at the end of the day, like that should be the design, you know, that they get to birth the baby and keep it and to be able to, that the Lord would surround them with community or family or someone to come out of the woodworks, you know, with a divine appointment to be able to give this baby a life and a childhood and everything, you know? So I just think that's so awesome and exactly what the Lord does call us to do first and foremost and to step aside from our desires because even in those moments you're probably praying for this birth mom but in your heart of hearts you're probably also like please God let them pick me you know and so it's just so much like God to remove ourselves from the situation and to put someone else in front of it in front of us or the situation to take the focus off of ourselves and to make him the priority and to make redemption the priority and unification, you know, just to come full circle. So I just think that's such, it just all makes sense, you know? Yes. Yes. Well, with our daughter, we didn't, by the time it was time for her to be discharged, she was already signing the revocation paperwork. And so when I walked into the room and met her for the first time, that paperwork had already been signed. I'd only been on the ground in New York for a couple hours. And so I was walking in with it being a completed thing. And I don't think anyone prepares you. There's, There's more on it now on the internet of how how you feel as an adoptive parent when this birth mother who just birthed this child is ushered out of the room 
and their arms are empty. Yeah. And it was so hard to watch her walk out without a baby. Like, oh, I'm she sure. walked out with her personal belongings, and that was it, and took an Uber home, you know? Wow. Like, and just, like, the hollow emptiness of that, it was not something I experienced like I was expecting to feel right. so much sadness over and know? heaviness yeah and then when we came for our son he we went there we waited in New York for two weeks before he was delivered so there was all that waiting is he is she going to decide to place with us or is she going to keep this baby wow and at the end of the day am I going to advocate for her in the hospital which is a big reason why she wanted me to be there uh she was treated extremely poorly at this hospital uh, with our daughter's birth and so having me to advocate for her was something that she really wanted and wow. I was so grateful to be able to do that to her for yeah. her but at the same time, not knowing is she going to change her mind once this baby's born? Because right. in the state of New York, you have three days before you can even sign the paperwork. And so she can't have the baby and sign, you know. Wow. Uh, and so we hired her an attorney, or hired an attorney to represent her solely. So she was looking at her best interests. And they had a two-hour session where this attorney tried to, like, is there any way that you can keep this baby? What network do you have? What can we do to, like, oh help you get this baby? Yeah. I was like, this is the attorney that we have hired, but she's representing right. this birth, birth mother, and she's doing her job in the way that she's supposed to. Right. But I was trembling as I was walking the hospital wall, uh, hallways, Oh, I'm sure. Pushing, pushing the little sweet boy around, um, not knowing if he was going to come home with me or if she was going to take him because, because you know, he was pretty precious. Oh, so, yeah. What a roller coaster. That's, but just holding it with open hands, being like, at the end of the day, I want what is best for this child, what the Lord has for this child, and if... God has our family for this child, and I was here to advocate and make sure that that birth process went, that she got the birth plan that she wanted, and that he was safe through it, um, and that she felt heard. Like, is that enough? Right. <laughs> How do I get to that place, you know? Right. Um, and then she did sign with us, and I was like, oh, I was so nervous, and she was like, why? I don't understand. <laughs> Nervous. You're like, oh, silly me. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. Talk about a whirlwind of emotions. That's, yeah. wild. That's wild. Adoption is a lot. And we, we were so blessed that we never experienced a disrupted adoption where she, she feels empowered to parent. And we we never experienced that. Um, okay. But we we have experienced a lot of you know the hard parts of adoption too, and so it is a really tough thing to go through. Yeah. And I I think 
not enough people talk about the hard parts and then you get in there as a potential adoptive parent and you're like why is anyone talking about this like I don't know how to process this right that's why I do right I think that's so good and so necessary for sure and that kind of leads me into my next question is do you have any advice you know for people in the church or outside of the church that you know are thinking about adoption or that maybe there's some misconceptions or you know you've obviously shared the beautiful story about bringing home two children you know from the same mom and all of that um but what is something that you're passionate about making known or sharing you know as far as this process goes that is such a great question. I think the first thing that uh, especially churches have a misconception on is that, uh, well, I want to start with the fact is that there are 30 to 50 waiting couples for every child, every infant that's placed for adoption. That's crazy. So as it follows, there is no need for the church to rise up and adopt mm. infants. And so when I see someone get up, and lead a really passionate rally for families to rise up and adopt these babies, I get a little annoyed. Yeah. (laughs) I know it sounds really good and it makes for a really good rally, but that's not where the church needs to rise up. Mm -hmm. It's in foster care. But no one's going to get a standing ovation if you challenge your church to rise up and do foster care. And so (laughs) you just don't get that passionate response. Um, as you do when you think about someone leaving a baby at the, at the doors of the church. And that's right. the reality of what adoption looks like right now. Um, unfortunately, those babies do get placed into foster care, and that's where the real need is. Um, it is such a beautiful gift that a parent can give their child to make a birth plan and include adoption as part of that instead of abandoning or leaving them in a situation where the foster care says CPS has to get involved. Right. Um, and so I think that that is certainly preferred um, if a birth mom, birth parents are able to do that. Um, but life gets in the way and yeah. foster care is really where the church needs to rise up and fill that gap. Wow, that's so good. And that's really good to know. <laughs> Um, I have seen a lot of that going around lately. Um, just, you know, like I said, the topic of pro-life and pro-choice and things like that is very rampant right now. And um, on one side, they're saying, you know, well, who's going to take care of these babies if they're born? And then the people who are in the adopt, you know, adoptive uh, arena they're like we will take them we have tons of people waiting you know um and so that's what I just find not ironic but it is kind of ironic you know that it's so opposite the extremes are so opposite and yet all these people are dying to have a child you know and so the demand is there Yeah, absolutely. And the average wait time now is much longer after uh, we experienced COVID because of just just the way that the delay, right? And 
Um, I think there's a lot more abstinence, and so the delays are much longer, and people are waiting average two and three years when it didn't used to be that long. Mm -hmm. And so when people pose the argument, who's going to take care of these babies if they're born? Well, if the parents make a birth plan, there are thousands thousands of families Mm -hmm. that are ready and waiting. 30 to 50 waiting families for every infant that's placed that's crazy it would take years to catch up and if it wasn't such a long process a two to three year process and so expensive we would be in line for the next one do you you know what I mean yeah yeah. oh Um, yeah so I know if the wait times were shorter and there was not as many fees involved that number would be hundreds for every waiting or every placed child so that argument is definitely null and void um but it doesn't negate where where we do need the church to rise up, and that is in the area of foster care. For sure, right? Yeah. Another misconception that I see is the lack of awareness in adoption ethics. Um, that is in especially regards to an agency's treatment of an expectant mama. And so there is coercion that some agencies use in order to have mamas place for adoption wow and that uh, and there is uh, promises and gifts that are promised and a lot of different things that happen which is extremely unethical oh wow. and so we we did get caught up in a situation where we had a sibling group presented to us and then the attorney that was representing them asked for a large sum of money from us in order to move things along and so at wow. that point I knew that we were disqualified because yeah. they were using it, it, like were bribery using mm-hmm. yeah. and so wow. it gets really sticky and so working really closely with um, your agency to know what is happening and what their adoption practices are are really important that's um, very good advice. <laughs> it's easy when you're in a waiting family to turn a blind eye to something because you are so desperate for right. that placement. And it cannot be, your, your adoption cannot come from a place of desperation. Right. It needs to be in a, from a place of like, God, you know the child that you have for me and are for our family. You have created our family and you place the lonely in families mm-hmm. and praying from that point so you're not uh, wanting to place out of desperation is wow. so important. Yeah. Um, but what happens is birth moms are flown in from other countries. They are housed in small dingy houses or trailers or whatever. Then they're taken to the hospital. Their child is born and then... They are placed for adoption, and then they are threatened with deportation, deportation if they stay in the And so that is a real practice wow. that happens commonly. Um, Amy Ford actually has a legal group that she works with to help women who are put into that position. And um, I know of agencies that she has been hired to come up against that wow. it is happening in real life but when you are waiting some ways that you can make sure that you're dealing with an ethical agency is number one 
be in prayer because yes. God can expose in the most amazing ways and um, just continually pray for exposure. And things might pop up on Facebook, in the news, all these different things. And so constantly be curious about the agency that you're working with because stuff might pop up and then that'll cause you to ask questions. Yeah. Um, however, uh, it is very rare for adoptive parents to make a complaint because of the lawsuits that can happen because of it um, from the agency. So a good way to get around that is to get into private Facebook groups for adoption. And a lot of times you have to be home study completed before you can be accepted into them. Um, If you're using your agency to do your home study, but um, still you have a home study out of it and then ask around in the Facebook group and see what um, people have to say about it. Everything has to be done direct message because again, you don't want to be caught in a situation where people are screenshotting and you're getting a cease and assist. But oh my goodness, <laughs> um, I have had people reach out on Instagram. Um, hey, can you give me more information about the agencies that you've used and and ask permission um, or ask for my experiences? And so it is not an uncommon thing. Like yeah. if you are looking at an agency do your due diligence and it takes a lot of work yeah but be a little sleuth yeah and figure out how to like you know, be 100% for sure that your placements were done in an ethical manner my thing was I did not want to grow up and have that conversation with my child and be like I can't tell you for sure right we've done it oh for sure and um I know without a shadow of a doubt that ours were done ethically because of how things played out um, and with her requesting a game for a second placement with our family. And so right. I am so grateful for that confirmation. Yes. And so if you are questioning it, um, even ask the Lord for those confirmations that you did everything that you could do the best that you could and and then just, you know... If, if there were things that were done wrong uh, with your agency, then you just know better for next time. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, <laughs> the best that I can give you, you know. Oh, yeah. I had, is, I had no idea. I mean, I'm, it's sadly, I'm not entirely surprised, but there's just so many moving parts to that. And it's just sad that there's corruption involved in something that should be so beautiful and pure and and uh, yeah but I did want to ask you in regards to that is what is something that you would that is helpful or supportive for a couple or family who is adopting did you find that y'all felt alone during that process did you guys find that you had a big support system and people were helping you maybe it was with raising money or just supporting you in prayer or whatever like is there anything like that that you felt was helpful during that process that is such a good question we definitely had a better support system when we were bringing our son home um than the two and a half years prior when we were uh, out doing our first daughter, daughter's adoption. 
uh, and that came in the form of a small group that I was a part of, and they set up, uh, because I was leaving my husband and daughter at home, there were people who would come over and help babysit so that he would be able to get out and um, attend the classes and attend the different things that he had to do. Uh, There were individuals that helped bring her to school so that, you know, she was in a preschool system and helping out with that. I had one friend who came in and was like, oh, daddy hasn't brushed her hair. (laughs) (laughs) Let me get on that. (laughs) Yeah, brush my daughter's waist-length hair. Oh, uh, my way. Touch that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Another friend was like, oh, can I help out? And you can get her to take a bath. Like, it's just, it's just such a struggle at two, you know? Oh, my goodness, yes. That was amazing. We had friends that donated air mile flights and wow. um, hotel points to stay in a hotel there. And, oh, my goodness. Um, we had a fund that we were raising money for our stay in New York and then also for the uh, legal fees that come along with a private adoption. We didn't use an agency uh, with our son because we were considered self-match, and so that was such a blessing to be able to have the financial support from our community. And then I had boxers and Marco Polos and messages and all that constantly. Um, Most of my time spent in New York for that two-week period was working on backgrounds and making sure that our fingerprints were coming in and that those are being sent to the right place and working on home study updates and all the legal stuff that comes with adoption. Uh, But to have people checking in was so amazing. And then my sister flew out for a couple weeks. I think she spent around two weeks with me while I was out there. And so if you have friends who are considering adoption, those are the most amazing ways that you can help support your adopting friends by just getting into the weeds with it because there are a lot of needs that look so different and then yeah when you bring that child home like they need we need meal train oh yes because it is such a disruption and with our son we didn't have a heads up no of nine months right yeah we didn't have diapers. We didn't set up his nursery till he was two months old because yeah. <laughs> we didn't know for sure it was happening right. until he got home. And then he loved to just uh, sleep in your mama. So oh, wow, that's amazing! So many good things. <laughs> I'm learning loads right now, which is amazing. So thank you for just being an open book. And oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't have any questions left, but I wanted to just open it up at lot one last time. If there's anything else on your heart or anything else that has been highlighted to you that you have always wanted to share or anything like that, feel free. Yeah, thank you. I think if a church wanted to get involved, if, if someone listening is a member of a church and they wanted their heart is to support families who are wanting to adopt, especially with the recent overturn of Roe versus Wade and it being kind of on people's radar a little more, uh-huh. um, 
two ways that would be most helpful was to have a match grant, and so that would be accepting donations from your congregant and holding them in a pool or a fund. Oh, yes. And then someone is getting ready to adopt to do some sort of matching grant with that. Okay. um, Where they raise $5,000 and then you match it, for example. Yeah. Uh, And then the second one, I know a lot of churches talk about adoption support groups, and those are actually really hard to sustain because of the different stages, and everybody's adoption looks so different, and so you meet up with someone or a group of people, and it looks different, and it's good for community, but... Um, once you bring your kids home, you just want to assimilate into regular life. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. Have that is like um, such a prominent thing. So what I have felt is most helpful is peer-to-peer mentoring where someone gets connected with someone who has adopted or who has accepted some foster placements or whatever that looks like and then they're able to have one-on-one meetups and I've been a part of a lot of those as we have adopted and people have had questions and for me it looks like voice memos or voxer messages right back and forth back and forth yeah as they figure out like the legal part and then also processing oh is this really going to happen you right know? and all of that that's what I find to be most helpful and so for a church to facilitate something like that would be probably the best way get, to get involved and support the people that are wanting to adopt or foster care. That's so good. So good. Well, thank and you. It's kind of a low. It's kind of like a low entry point too. It doesn't create a. It's not a whole lot of effort as a church. Oh right. Oh, yeah, yeah, because obviously the church, generally, their intentions are pure and they they just want to help, but there's so much that goes into it, you know, and I've seen people share, you know, like, if you can help with a meal train or if you can raise some money or come to this garage sale or whatever the case may be, you know, because it's, I mean, the fees that I've heard are just outrageous you know there's just so many things depending on how you go about it what way you decide to do and you know depending on the family and everything there's just so many moving parts so it's just a lot and I can see how just supporting in any possible way would be helpful um during such a giant life transition you know and anybody who has a baby knows that the, the transition is great. Um, but tacking on all these legal fees and everything else that goes along with it adds several thousand dollars more into the mix. So, yeah. Yeah, it can be a lot. Yeah. Well, this has been so good. I'm so glad that you were able to share this story with us. And thank you so much for just your vulnerability and really helping explain a lot of the do's and don'ts as well, because I think that sometimes we're just so excited about the, yay, you got a kid, you know, and like just so excited about what actually, what finally happened that, but I also think the practical side is so necessary to know as well. And how to pray into it and how to approach it from a godly perspective and so 
thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been such an honor to be a guest on today's podcast. Yes. Well, we're going to wrap up here, but um, anybody who's listening, I hope that this blessed you today. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you.